everybody. This has been so great for me, but I also want to apologize in taking so long to do uh, the next one. I'll try to get better at that. Just like all of us, you know, we have good days and bad days. For most of my life, I've had like 99% good days just because of the way I was raised. But it's been kind of tough. I know it's been more tough on a lot of you. Like, you know, people are going through cancer treatment. Rebecca, I hope you're doing okay. We're constantly thinking of you. Like Mike McCarthy got just won the cancer war. There's so many of us that are uh, you know, going through a lot. So part of me feels really guilty if I have a, if I have a, a less than stellar day. I have no excuse. I'm healthy except for breaking all my bones. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I get lots of like little injuries just because I, you know, well, you saw the Intoxicats video. <laughs> I hadn't done a cartwheel in like a couple of years and I just did it. And I was like, well, that was probably not smart at 60, what am I, 63? Anyway, just saying it only because this is such an odd time, isn't it, in the world for us? So it's hard to remain positive. So I'm going to think about how much fun I have with you guys and your questions and your recordings they mean so much to me. When I finally listen to them, I'm like, oh, I wish, I'd, I, wish I could just do the show right now. So I'm gonna. Right now. What will I start with? Oh, I'm going to start with questions. Right away. <laughs> From Doran. Doran Brennan. Doran says, we spoke briefly at Nottaway about your beautiful custom dresses. Can you tell us more about how you came about the designs and fabrics? I believe you told me uh, you have, you've made them yourself. Then last podcast, Harvey, Todd's old classmate, says Todd was knitting in the back of the class. What's up with that? <laughs> I like how you wrote that, Doran. Um, let's see. You know what? First, I have to say it's so weird I've been cleaning my office and the closets, and just like probably you guys have been. It's almost like every time I find something, you guys ask a question about it. The day before Doran sent this question, I found some of my old Barbie clothes. That tells you how I, I'm not a hoarder because I don't save every single thing. But there are certain things that were so important to me. I'm holding them right now. These are like two coats, two of my Barbie's coats, you know, from the early 60s. And so, Doran, I have always been into the 60s fashion and fashion in general. And so at this, right before you sent that, I had found these like the day before. And so I thought I would just tell you I have so much fun, like I'm a terrible sketcher and drawer. But I also found, with my Barbie clothes, see, I'm holding papers, Doran. <laughs> I found my sketches for that dress. And they they look like they're very based on 60s dresses. I named mine, like, the 50s, the magenta, the 1960s, the Audrey. I have no idea how I named them like this. But all my dresses look like that. And I did 
take a class with Rachel. We went to this really weird old Hollywood queen fashion guy. We would go to his house and take classes, uh, just the two of us, on how to make your own patterns. And it was it was pretty hilarious. I mean, that's not really what we went to him for. I can't even remember what we were just going to ask him about before we started making all Todd's clothes, ask him questions. But so we got into making patterns. So um, one of the patterns I did was this sort of 60s dress. And yes, I did make my first one, which told me that I should hire somebody that knew exactly how to sew. (laughs) So um, all my clothes are made by my friend uh, Lenny. I have a Lenny house builder, and I have a Lenny uh, costume and dressmaker. In fact, Lenny made us all of our uh, our masks, too, that we all now have to wear. So uh, all, if you notice, and I'm just going to tell you something that maybe you guys already noticed, but ever since I opened Tiki and Niki, I need something I can move around in easily. So I made one design and had all my dresses made out of that same design, but different fabrics, different lengths. And sometimes I add fringe or something, but it's all the same dress. Because And the reason I designed it that way is it's hot in Hawaii. You don't want to wear a bra. So the top of the dress fits very tightly under the boobs. So it's like wearing a bra. You don't have to wear a bra under your dress. So, And I also have like four sizes. Because when I first started, you know, I weighed like 115 or something. Um, and then... After a while, in fact, I've, I've lost 20 pounds. Well, I lost 20 pounds and then I gained six once we got quarantined. <laughs> I had gotten up to, now remember, I'm five foot two and I have teeny tiny bones. I'd gotten up to 140, which is what, it was a pound more than I weighed when I gave birth to Rebop. So I started following this Dr. Gundry guy. He's all about, you know, the gut health and What's his, uh, I forgot the book's name. I've said the book's names thousands of times. Uh, anyway, Dr. Gundry, that's who I follow. I take his supplements. I make Todd take some too. And I lost 20 pounds just by following the plant paradox. That's it. And it's not a vegetarian thing. But the plant paradox is his book and recipes and junk. And yeah, so I no longer have to be super strict because I'm in quarantine. So I'm going to drink and eat stuff. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to stuff. Um, oh, CLB, it's not a question, but um, she, CLB, said that our friend Jeff, Jeff Goss, G A U S S, remember everybody knows Jeff. So CLB just wanted to get all of us into, um, into a giving mode, which um, we almost always are, right? She said, Jeff is suffering from onset dementia early. He's been confined to assisted living, which is now, of course, on lockdown, so no visitors, just like her mom. And um, she said you could, if you want to read about his situation, you can go to the Lizard webpage, and that's Lizard with a Z, Lizards with a Z at the end. And they said they had to let him go as lead guitar player due to the his disease stripping of his ability to play. So she would like it if we could all do sort of a letter writing campaign 
Um, I'm if you guys get a pen and paper, or maybe just rewind or something. Uh, Jeff J E F F G A U S S. If we can all write him or send him a card or like hang in there, the the tribe. I, a lot of you are calling it the T R the the T R I B the tribe, and I love that. It's we are. It's great. <laughs> so if maybe we just send a little card or something to Jeff, guitar pick. Um, it's going to in care of Tender Reflections Assisted Living. Very cool name. Tender Reflections Assisted Living, 3404 Community Center Drive, Weston, Wisconsin. That's W-E-S-T-O-N, Wisconsin, 54476. Okay, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Kevin Wall has a, a question, or let's see, I've noticed and heard that Todd has <laughs> that Todd has an aversion to jeans. I was wondering if you could give us the backstory on what that is. <laughs> oh, and and uh, Kevin is thanking me for the dance during his Burt Backrack song audition. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> okay, um, yes. Ever since I've known him, he has disliked jeans. Now, he did say, like when he was farmer, you know, farmer Todd in Woodstock before anybody else moved, before kids or anything, he did have overalls. And he has worn black jeans on stage. But he just doesn't, he thinks they're not comfortable and that they don't look good. Now, he's not going to judge you for wearing them, but... Um, it's funny because I didn't wear jeans. I hardly ever wear pants anyway. It's too hot in Hawaii, and I just didn't do it very often. I think I have one pair of jeans, and they're old bell-bottom jeans with embroidery on them that probably fit my niece Vivian. I'm going to have to dig those out and give, just like all my Betsy clothes, i got to give her, give those away too. And Veronica, well, well, well. Veronica Alfonso. You sparked my interest. You were talking about your marriage and some issues you and Todd had with your relationship. I'm going to get to that either. I think I'm going to get to that next show. I love these questions. I really do. This is exactly what I ask for. You know, tough questions. And uh, because I have to figure out if there's a backstory, and I'm next to... Next episode, I'm going to read from Todd's book and tell the backstory. It's hard to, to know whether I should decide to do to skip to the, that part or tell other hard times earlier on. I guess we could skip all around, but pretty soon you know I'm going to repeat myself. I'm going to forget skipping back and forth. I should have started with my history, first through sixth grade, then seventh through ninth grade, Okay, Veronica, I'm going to get to it, but I love the tough question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Here's my question from Donna Newton. I've always been curious about what makes a Todd fan. Do you think many other famous musicians have similar followings? I bet other musicians do, but I bet they're not as cool as you guys. And I'm not trying to, like, you know, pander. I just... People are always amazed at how we all camp together and travel together and 
see each other, and you guys too, you see each other at different shows, and you sort of make it a point to maybe vacation together here and there. Look, Michael Green flies from Australia to hang out with all of us. You know, all of us, meaning not just me and Todd, but you guys too. All, people all over the world. Look at Carolyn Sidall. I mean, man, there's. I should just name, you know, 7,000 of us that are hanging out and really cool. <laughs> um, oh, I got such a really cool... Yes, I'm starting to read these ahead of time, so so that I don't shock myself. So Karen Gian, uh, Giocondi and her wife, Becca. Oh, I got such a great email. That was really, really sweet, Karen. And uh, she was kind of asking about Tiki and Niki. So um, I'll try to say something really quick, which is Tiki and Niki is kind of why, why I've been in the doldrums, um, just trying to figure out what to do. It's pretty bad here on Kauai. Uh, Hawaii, the state of Hawaii, is the third worst state hit by the virus economically. We're the third worst hit economically. Kauai, a year ago, was at 2% unemployment, meaning everyone was working. It was hard to find workers. Um, we have to pay top dollar to keep people because the hotels keep stealing all of our good people. So, uh, it's really expensive to have all those employees. Um, if you're an investor in Tiki and Niki, you haven't seen any money, and neither have I. I haven't taken a paycheck ever because it's been so expensive to run that business. But now, Hawaii is the third hardest hit, and the island of Kauai, on the north shore of Kauai, where we are, where the restaurant is, is at 95% unemployment. From 2% to 95%. So no one, we're not even open. Um, the, our um, mayor hasn't let anybody open yet. If you're a tourist, you're locked down at a hotel for two weeks if you fly in. They're not even let, you can go out on your hotel balcony, but you can't go down to the restaurant. You can't go out onto your deck. No, you can go on your deck. You just can't go to the pool. Meals come to your door. So there are no tourists, and all the locals have no money. If you are hearing our doggies, there are wild pigs outside tonight, and, of course, the dogs are freaking out. So I don't think you can hear Todd's TV, but it's blaring because he's up in the studio. He'll turn up his TV really loud and then go up and record. Okay, I'm jumping around. Sorry. So I am trying to solve the Tiki and Niki situation and trying to figure out how to open, how to rehire 40 people. Um, the, I am speaking to somebody that may try to buy everybody out, out of their shares, which is would, I think, be a good idea because we just don't know what the future is. I, I am very scared that especially our Economic Development Commission said that it will take five years to come back. So uh, I will keep you posted. God, I hope that didn't bum anybody out, because it did bum me out. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Bruce's story. <laughs> oh, first he asked about a, a story about Rebob and Burning Man. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
I better have more beer before I tell that one, but it is a funny story, Bruce. I, I might come back to that one in this show or do it again, but I'm going to read Bruce's story about... Remember, I, this is my um, uh, continuation of blushings and brushings of with greatness. Or no, as blush, brushiness and blushiness with greatness. So I'll just... Uh, this is just blush and brush with greatness, too. So Bruce's story, uh, and it made me laugh while I was reading it. Okay. In 1977, the movie Air Force One, starring Harrison Ford, premiered in Los Angeles at the AMC Theater in Century City. Been there many times, Bruce. One of my friends worked at Naris, that's the Grammys. He got complimentary tickets to see the premiere. Opening night. Everyone's there. All the famous cast members and guests. It was awesome. We're booing the bad guy, Gary Oldman. And we're cheering the good guy, Harrison Ford. Big applause at the end of the show. Yay! He wrote that. <laughs> we wandered out to the lobby to pick up swag and people watch. We're off near the side doors to stay out of the way. And here comes this guy in a tuxedo heading straight for us. But he zooms by, opens the breaker bar for the side door to the lobby, and heads out to a waiting limo. Well, apparently he was just out to discuss timing and pickup spot with the driver, and back he comes in just a couple minutes, except when he goes to pull the lobby door open, it was locked behind him. He looks up with that, oh, and let's see, Bruce does, uh, like, numbers and stars and dollars, um, maybe like an, oh, what the fuck, now what am I going to do, look? <laughs> Being the observant type, I watch all of this unfolding, and with a quick glance around, Looks like there's no one else nearby to come to the rescue. So I hot foot it to the door, hit the exit bar, and swing it open for Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and Bruce says, who was most gracious and thankful, as you might expect. Forever after, if the subject of brush with fame comes up, I tell everyone, I was Arnold Schwarzenegger's doorman. <laughs> And I also like that he signed it, Sir Reality. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, you guys are going to love Todd's new record. I've, I haven't heard all of it, but boy, boy, there's one that's just, I can't stop singing it. And I will try really hard not, not to sing any of it and spoil it. Na, 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 na. No, that was totally wrong. But <laughs> Okay, Larry. Larry Torre. Larry Torre Gianni. But he goes by Larry Torre. I have a, he goes, Dear Michelle, I have a story. I love that, Larry. I just liked when I read it. Dear Michelle, I have a story. When I was 15 or 16, my Manhattan rock nightlife began. What? You were too young. I, I said that part. There was a famous night spot called Club 82. In the 50s and 60s, it was a club for transvestites, but morphed into a rock club in the height of the glitter rock days. The New York Dolls played there a lot, and I even saw Chasm Sultan there as part of Cherry Vanilla's band. This is in the early 70s. Anyway, by happenstance, the DJ at Club 82, Tony Mansfield, was from my neighborhood in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. We became close friends, got into the 82 Club almost every night. Okay, I, this is me. Larry, you're 15 or 16 going to the club. Where were your parents? Did you sneak out? Okay, back to Larry. All the stars hung out there. 
The dolls were there all the time, and I met Bowie there after one of his shows. Anyway, Tony got us into anything we wanted to go to. Here it is, my first ever night at Max's Kansas City. Since Tony was treated as royalty in the late night rock scene, we were ushered to the upstairs section of Max's. It's where the kitchen was, and people ate dinner there. Bowls of chickpeas on every table, and people would toss chickpeas around the room, usually to get someone's attention. Anyway, I somehow was seated at a table with your boyfriend. That was my boyfriend. (laughs) Uh, He was with Michael J. Pollard, who starred in the Bonnie and Clyde movie. I worked up the nerve to speak to Todd. I asked, what's new? After telling him I was a huge fan. He tells me he's working with a couple of guys called Hall and Oates, who up until that point were totally unheard of. I remember thinking to myself that they sound like hicks or a couple of farmers. <laughs> While we were talking, some black chick is trying to pick Todd up, promising him an exciting evening. He clearly wasn't interested and tried in a very polite way to explain to her that he was a free spirit. His exact words. Oh, man, Larry, if I'd heard that, I would have thought he was gay. Oh, back to Larry. Todd was in his rainbow-colored hair phase. Lou Reed was also a couple tables over. I soon shortly became a semi-regular at Max's and had other run-ins with Todd over the next couple years. Not bad for a first night at Max's. (laughs) Yes, that was really good, Larry. Oh, he goes on. I'm glad the universe has brought us together, Michelle, and thank you so much for reading my Mother's Day recollections. It really made my day. Larry Torrey, just like Joe Torrey, the baseball guy, of course. That was a great story, Larry. Thanks. (laughs) Now, we have an ongoing segment, and that are favorite Todd tunes. Now, John Corman, John P. Corman sent me his three, but John... There's a challenge here. I don't want to hear just what your three favorite tunes are. I want to know, you know, like, what you felt, or did it change your life, or what, what did it mean to you, or where were you, what you thought, what, you know, yeah, more, more, more. I'm not just going to go, John Corman's favorite three songs are, da-da-da-da, Give me more, John. Give me more. Okay, um, now Chuck Wiggins is going to give us more. <laughs> oh, I'm going to uh, toast to Chuck. Oh, man, Chuck was supposed to open for Intoxicats, and uh, I would love, I love Chuck and Deb. It's so much fun listening to them play. They have so much fun. All right, I'm doing a toast to you, Chuck. Ready? Do you notice I don't have a squeaky chair now? got a different chair but I can't say that it'll be quiet if I scooch it okay so Chuck says a couple of questions for you to use on air or whatever they call on air for a podcast on net in the cloud number one my favorite tier album has to be no world order it's so funny I never would have thought that of you Chuck but I mean that's great it speaks to me on so many levels spiritual Social, political, and I love the interactive parts on the project, both on the CD-ROM and the live. I didn't get to see the show in person, but have watched it on DVD more times than I can count. I think it's one of the bravest live productions ever. Requires a tremendous amount of trust in the audience, 
as a key part of that show. What was that like for you to be moving among the among and interacting so closely with the audience? Were there any particular moments that were scary? Any that really affirmed the rightness of the concept? Okay, I'll answer that one. That was number one. You know, it's funny, Chuck. It was never scary. Be- uh, I guess because of the nature of Todd fans. Everybody was pretty respectful. And it, it was just so much fun. And being able to, like, you know, jump in the audience and dance with you guys, pull you up on stage and dance. There were maybe a couple guys that, you know, you grabbed their arm and they yanked and you realize, oh, they've had too many beers. We're going to move on, move on. Uh, all you had to do is circle, circle around. But I loved it. So uh, I guess since I'm telling stories, I'll tell a quick story about that, about New World Order. So when Todd wanted to do that, he and I were having a rough time in uh, Sausalito and we always get along but it was it was pretty rough time in the marriage so he came to me and he said I want you to put together an audition for my next tour it's gonna be called No World Order and I I was um, in fact that's what he was working on when uh, I almost died (laughs) giving birth to Rebop in fact when I came home from the hospital he was so, and I'm not saying this to be mean, I'm not, but I'm just saying this is how um, he, is, he was concentrating so much on his music, and I couldn't move, I couldn't get to the bathroom or anything um, by myself because I was sent home with an open cesarean. I would have to call my girlfriends, who li- luckily lived in town, because Todd was right next door. The studio is right next door to our bedroom, but he was so wrapped in his music, he would forget about me for like 12 hours. So I would have to call my girlfriends to say, I need to go to the bathroom and I'm hungry. So they set up, uh, they realized he was in his own world. And it's not that, you know, he wasn't being mean. He's in his own world. There was. So they set up a a little uh, sort of like a potluck thing where everybody took turns and they would co- schedule their where they came over to take me to the bathroom and feed me and then the next person five hours later would come take me to the bathroom and feed me it was it was a weird time so when he told me that he wanted me to set up an audition and he wanted to hire three dancers and I had been a dancer all my life and I said well aren't you going to hire me? And he said, well, you can audition. I was pretty shocked. So um, having heard the music, I realized a lot of it was going to be hip-hop. So I searched out Melanie. Remember, it was uh, Melly and Melanie. I searched out Melanie because I knew I needed to learn a new style quickly that I didn't know. So I took hip-hop classes from Melanie. They were packed in Mill Valley and so much fun. And Melly was in the class. So after I realized, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I got this down. And so I went to Kelly and I told her about the audition. I said, now all these girls are going to be auditioning, but not as a group. So will you, are you interested in going on tour? And Melly, you, come over here. I Here's what I want to do. I want to put the three of us together to audition. And I'm going to... Since I'm in charge of auditions, he's going to watch them, but I'm scheduling everybody. We're going last. 
So I scheduled a whole, and Kathy Coffey was involved too. She helped organize all this. So the auditions happened, and oh my God, some of them were just strippers, and some of them were, were pretty good. So at the very end, it was me and Melly and Melanie. We did our dance for Todd. It ends, and remember, we're not getting, Todd and I are not getting along, and this is the only time he's ever said it. He didn't say it to be mean, but he goes, fuck you, you're hired. <laughs> Meaning he didn't want to hire me, but we were so damn good he had to. And we all had a blast on the road together. It was so much fun. I agree. It was, but he always does that. He always tries to come up with something that is almost impossible to pull off and doesn't pull, doesn't pull it off at first, but then success. So yeah, I guess it was scary, Chuck. But fun as hell. I'm so glad that you said that because it gave me a chance to tell that story. Okay, number two. Chuck says, I love most things tiki, exotic, tropical, but I don't like sweet, fruity cocktails. I'm a bourbon guy primarily, but enjoy an occasional scotch, dirty martini, or spicy Bloody Mary. Have you run across or concocted any tiki-influenced cocktails that might fit my palate? Well, I will... I'll go over my little uh, recipe chest, but I thought what I would tell you at first and I would tell everybody is I'll try to recreate the, when we were open for breakfast at Tiki and Niki, we had one of the most kick-ass Bloody Marys ever. Even Todd said that, oh my God, this is amazing. And our trick, now we would make it in a big booze bottle, so... um, Actually, we'd make it a big pitcher and then pour it into the booze bottle. But the trick is, of course, you used a little celery salt in there. But we took fresh ginger and chopped it up super fine. It can be little chunks. You might be drinking little chunks, but chop it up as fine as you can. Fresh ginger. Probably, if you're going to put it in a booze bottle, there were probably two tablespoons of fresh ginger at the bottom of that. And it's even better if you leave it in the refrigerator for a day or two. So we would use uh, V8 and then just use our, our own, you know, spices and hotness and sriracha. So I'll try to find my old recipe for the exact. But right now, if you guys just look up Bloody Mary, all you have to really do is add fresh chopped ginger and let it marinate. Okay, now Chuck says, here's a little musical humor. The latest parody from a crew of players I work with at the NAS show in Cincinnati back in November. This one features Fernando Perdomo. Hi, Fernando. Bruce Whetstone. Hi, Bruce. And Nick Bertling. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Nick. <laughs> I had the idea and wrote the lyrics for this. Coroquine oh, Dawn. What? Based on uh, Polythena Pam. <laughs> from Abbey Road over the weekend, and we started assembling our parts on Monday. Little did we know that the news cycle on Monday afternoon would feature just that, so it's a bit timely, perhaps even prophetic. Um, So I'm going to ask my producer, Joey, if he can maybe play it. If not, I hope you have your pen still. It's on YouTube, so Y-O-U-T-U dot lowercase b-e slash nine lowercase r dash uppercase d is in dog lowercase v uppercase u 
uppercase V is in victory, uppercase I, uppercase E, lowercase R, uppercase Y. I feel like a policewoman. All the best to you and the family. Thanks for keeping us in touch virtually. Why, my pleasure. All right. Now we're going to get into some more tunes. Let's see. This is Tina. Tina says, you were talking about parallel. Oh, this is, um, yeah, her story about her favorite Todd tunes. She says, you were talking about parallel lines on the second podcast, and I wanted to share my story. When I was 14 months pregnant with Scott, we drove up to New York to see Up Against It. Now, maybe I'm going to back up a little bit. And uh, if you're just tuning into this podcast, I think it was the last podcast that I mentioned that uh, singing parallel lines on stage every night was when Rebop would wake up in my belly. He'd be quiet the whole show, but he loved parallel lines. And he would wake up and push his foot on my ribs and his hand on, my, on the other rib and listen. And then uh, when I met Rebop, I sang parallel lines, and he did. He turned his head and it just always got him, always. Anyway, so um, Tina says... She drove to New York to see up against it. There was an empty seat next to me, and at some point during the show, Todd came and sat down. (laughs) She says, I peed just a little. (laughs) Throughout the last days of my pregnancy and during a very, very, very long delivery, I played the song obsessively. I alternated between listening to Todd and watching Pee-wee's Playhouse during said delivery. (laughs) When Scott was born... I could get him to go to sleep instantly by playing parallel lines. He's a grown man now, and it's still one of his chill pills. Aww. Oh, that is so cool. She says, another funny kid story. When he was about six or seven, Todd was playing in uh, When Scott was about six or seven, Todd was playing in Austin. It must have been with a twist. And we told Scott that if he stayed up through the concert, we would take him down the street for a midnight snack at the deli. On our way back, Todd was sitting on the steps of his bus, and no one was around. Scott was so excited. Remember, Scott's six or seven. He ran up to Todd to say hello, and Todd borrowed a pen from me and signed an 8x10 for him. We got back in the car, and Scott realized that Todd had not given him back his pen. (laughs) He talked about Todd taking his pen for years. It was a badge of honor, and he could give something back to your family hero, (laughs) to our family hero. Um... That picture hung in his room until we sold the house, right next to his picture of Einstein. <laughs> That's cool. And Tina's one that reminded me, uh, she put this word in here. It's so weird to have a grown T-R-I-B-E member, a tribe member. Michael and I have always recognized the impact that Todd's music has had in our lives, but to see it reflected, absorbed, and put back out to the universe by your kid is some amazing stuff. Oh, you made me cry, Tina. <laughs> I always want I always oh I also want to say that we all talk about Todd all the time. My boss is amazed how I can work in a Todd reference to almost any conversation. <laughs> but I want to recognize your role in this cultish lifestyle. I know that without you he would not be able to create what he does. Oh yeah, he could. <laughs> You're the rock that lets him roll and vice versa. I really enjoyed getting to know you and learning more about you through the podcast. You make my heart warm. Aw, thank you, Tina. Yeah, I think, I mean, thank you. I think I do, uh, 
I take care of him. I take care of his life and his heart. But he was already who he was when I met him. And he would do he would do all this without me. <laughs> and if something happened to me, he better keep going. I did tell him, if something happens to me, okay, mourn, mourn for three, maybe four weeks, then go back out on tour and start getting some mercy fucks. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> Don't wear them out too much, okay? <laughs> uh, favorite Todd tunes, Tanya Wyman. Hi, Tanya. This is Tanya in New York City. I recorded part of this on the phone line, but it seems to have been lost to the ether, so I'm emailing instead. Apologies if this gets long, but I'm so happy you're doing a podcast. I'm a fan of yours as much as I am a fan of Todd. Oh, thanks. Todd may be God, but you're absolutely an international treasure. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Your Hal Wilner story was priceless and exactly what I've heard from others that knew him. Oh, good. Um, Tanya says, I met you briefly twice. Um, first, after your comedy set at the Cutting Room in New York City. Oh, that was fun, but I was nervous because it was New York City. And then, after your, uh, and then after a Todd show at B.B. King's, my friends and I stopped in at a bar down the street after the show, and all of a sudden, you and Todd and Rebop and the whole crew from the gig rolled in. But anyway, you have always inspired me as an independent lady who is fiercely loyal to her partner and family but doesn't take any crap. You're a badass. <laughs> Thanks, Tanya. <laughs> all right, as for three, my three favorite Todd songs... It's really hard to choose, but right now I'd say Love is the Answer, Parallel Lines, and The Last Ride. I consider Love is the Answer to be my theme song on a good day. On a bad day, it's the kink state of confusion. <laughs> but speaking of Love is the Answer, actor, comedian, and singer Rick Younger, who plays Mr. Duval in Mean Girls on Broadway, has a live online show where he cooks breakfast and sings. And if you're a regular, he sings your theme song. So whenever I join his broadcast, he sings a little bit of Love is the Answer. Aww! I mean, he, I gotta check that out then. So, Rick Younger, like Young E-R. I'm a huge fan of Utopia stuff, too. Seeing the Reformed Band in 2018 was amazing, especially that they let off the set with the more prog rock material. I also have to shout out Paul Myers. Yay, Paul! Recently, I was trying to figure out where I saw or read your story, how Parallel Lines came about. And as it turns out, it was in his book. Oh, everybody should check out Paul Myers' book. Uh, and love his new interview with Todd on his Record Store Day podcast. I haven't heard that. So Paul also has um, a Record Store Day podcast. Um, I listened to the one about the record store in Seattle. Oh my gosh, it's amazing um, that I mean, Paul knows all this history. And I think you'd really enjoy especially that one. It just is amazing what happened at that rec record store in Seattle, as you can imagine. And Paul Myers is a great friend. I try to support his music too all the time. And he's funny. He's as funny as his brother. Um. I was supposed to be seeing Todd at Gramercy Park this Friday, but knowing Todd is cooking up something for the fans this year is wonderful. Da -da -da -na 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 -na. Nope, stop, stop. I'm slapping my face. Finally, your Prince story was jaw-dropping. Look, looking forward to future podcasts. Be well and be safe. Well, as you know, Tanya. Thanks, Tanya. I didn't quite get to all of my stories. 
So I thought I would continue. Now, there was Red Skelton and David Bowie in the, in the picture that Lisa Asta did. Isn't that a great picture? Okay, I'm taking another sip of beer. So, my brush with Red Skelton. The precursor to that will be another episode that we'll talk about later. Um, but I was in a circus, my brother and I, my brother Gino and I. You guys all know Jonathan, but there's a brother in between us. Gino and I are we're only 16 months apart, and we both got into this youth circus. Coach Bigby and uh, Coach Carruth were amazing coaches. So Max thought, because we, we were also doing clown work in circus, Max thought it would be great to take 20 of us to see Red Skelton playing in Portland, Oregon. And we're a little town in Astoria, Oregon. Portland is the big city. So he arranged to get tickets for all of us. And it's funny, Max, Max told everybody you know, that was working the show about us. And he even asked, hey, you know, do you think... I know Red Skelton's famous. Do you think he'd want to talk to the kids? These kids are, you know, learning about being a clown and, and uh, doing physical comedy and, and circus. Red Skelton agreed. So after the show, we piled into his backstage area, his dressing room. And he, oh my gosh, I, it's, I can, I'm almost speechless how kind and educating he was, telling us, took us out back out to the stage and the audience is gone about how to think about where you are on the stage, uh, what to think about, uh, how to give to the audience, how to be funny without looking like you're trying. Um, notice all the funny things, even about mistakes that happened and on stage. And I wish I could, rem I'll have to ask my coach, Max Bigby. I still talk to him. He was, um, uh, a big influence on my life and my brothers. Uh, that's another one of our episodes, influences. Basically, I want to thank Red Skelton for just being so kind to people he didn't know after he worked so hard in a, in a show at the end of the night and that he was so good at what he did. He was a song and dance man first, so if you ever get a chance on Turner Classic Movies to see Red Skelton... He was really good um, and funny, too. But he got goofier as he got older, which I thought was hilarious. Okay, that was it. Uh, and then I probably skipped the next one on purpose because um, it's, you know, it's odd when you talk about really famous people. But part of the coolest thing to happen to me was joining the Tubes. One of the highlights of my life. And yes, being part of, uh, you know, meeting Todd too. Yes, yes, yes. But I wouldn't have met Todd if I hadn't been in the tubes. And I told you the story about auditioning and how I got in there. Um, we got a chance. She's a beauty was on the radio. So we were suddenly pretty famous. And David Bowie was, had finished his European tour and is going to tour the United States. And we were asked along with Peter Gabriel, to be his opening act. So it was The Tubes, Peter Gabriel, and David Bowie's Serious Moonlight Tour. 
I'm sure a lot of you saw that. It blew me away. So our first show was Edmonton, Alberta. It was one of the most, I've read a little bit of the history, one of the most lucrative rock shows in Canadian history. I believe that night, one million. Now, the, we played, the Tubes played, um, you know, but the, at the height there, that was like, you know, 1,500, 2,500 seaters, sometimes big arenas with a bunch of bands. Like we did a whole thing with like Journey and John Cougar Mellencamp and a couple of other big bands, and that was fun. But this was the biggest we'd ever played, 60,000 people in Edmonton. I believe it was one of the first shows they ever had at BC Place. I think, if my history's right. And I can remember details either. So we were told by uh, our road manager that their management had said, all right, now when you're the opening act. So when if you see Mr. Bowie backstage or, you know, side of the stage or anything, do not look at him. Do not speak to him. Just move on. He's got things to do. You guys are just the opening act. You get on, you do your thing, you get off. Well, we started to do our first sound check, and I, I was like, oh my, there are no people there yet. And we went on, I think, at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon or something. But uh, So we do our sound check, and I look, look over, and lots of the, all the crew, everybody's watching us. It's really tough, because we had a huge visual show with big sets, and, and stuff would spin around and break apart, and you know, earthquakes and all that stuff. Well, we couldn't use all of that because of his set. It was huge. So we go on that afternoon, and I look over, and David's watching the show. And I thought, oh my god, that's really cool. That is so cool. Um, I had seen him earlier getting something to eat, and I didn't say anything because I do as I'm told. I'm a cop's kid. And he was saying nice things to the people that were, had made the dinner. And, um, and he, said, he looked at me and said, how are you doing? I said, I am doing so great. Thank you for having us. We are so excited. And that was all they said. Uh, but mostly I noticed how kind he was to the people that were working at BC Place. He's a superstar. He doesn't have to say hi to the lady that's serving him chicken or that's bringing water bottles out, but he does. What a gentleman. So we do our show. We go off. I watch Peter Gabriel. Oh, my God, amazing. I meet Rosanna Arquette. During that tour, we became really good friends. We you know, didn't after that. It kind of happens when you're on tours. You, uh, But I really loved her. She was exactly like you would expect. She's smart and funny and comes across kind of innocent, even though she's wise. So that was fun. Then David goes on. And uh, we're all kind of afraid to really go up on stage because that's the first show. We don't want to piss anybody off. So I just watched it on the monitors and kind of went out uh, not on the side of the stage, but below the stage. You can kind of see the crowd and parts of the stage. And it was just blew me away. So that, that ended in, in Edmonton. We hear from David that he noticed his stage kept us from having more of our stage, more of our equipment. And so that he was going to tell his crew that when we set up in Vancouver, oh, sorry, um, Vancouver was BC Place. 
Edmonton was something else, I can't remember. So when we set up a BC place, he wanted his crew to move his set back so we would have more room. I was blown away. And also that's uh, the first time that I walked down the hall all by myself. David was coming down and spun me around, asked if I was having a good time. Yeah, spun me around like a little dance move and said, are you going to watch my show? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really want to see it, but it's too hard to get out in the house. He goes, no, no, watch it from the side. There's a chair there. So I'm like, okay, okay. I'd also, uh, in Edmonton, had a nice backstage flirtation with Tony Thompson, who was David's drummer. And I thought, well, maybe he, you know, maybe Tony told him, like, you know, have her sit on the side of the stage. Because I thought Tony was pretty cute. There's one point in, in David's show where he comes off stage and he takes his hat off and has a sip of water and stuff. So I'm sitting in the, on the chair and he walked off stage, grabs his water, took his hat off and put it on my head. Then said, you have such tiny feet. And he took a shoe off and he gives me sort of a little quick massage and puts my shoe on. The intro to what he's doing goes you know, finishes, takes a sip of water, grabs his hat off my head and walks back out. And I'm thinking, what the hell? What the hell just happened? What the hell? <laughs> so, um, and that night I started a, um, a brief and fun relationship with Tony Thompson. I can't remember what night David threw us a party, but I think it was in San Francisco for Fee's birthday, but it might've been in Vancouver. I don't quite remember. I'll have to ask Fee. Fee remembers everything. So we go on to play Tacoma. Tacoma, Washington. The Tacoma Dome. And I brought my little brother Jonathan up. We're eight years apart, so he's in college. And uh, I just, I didn't tell him really anything. Just come see the, you're going to hang out with me and we'll watch a show from the side of the stage. And he's like, okay, because I, you know, it was sold out for months. And again, there's a long hallway for the dressing rooms. And my little brother's with me. I got him, his passes on. And David walks down the hall again and says, Hello, darling. It's great to see you. Oh, this is your brother. Are you going to watch this show? And I'm like, Yes, yes, I'm going to watch the show. And, and uh, from the side of the stage again, thanks. And uh, go to my dressing room like this happens to me every day, knowing my little brother just witnessed this. <laughs> so uh, we get to watch the show from the side of the stage and John is Jonathan's sitting on his cooler and I said well when he starts to walk off you have to get up and uh, he kind of Jonathan kind of forgot so when David comes off stage he's not uh, like one of those guys like, look I need to get my water no he's just like oh excuse me so oh and John realizes oh pops up and David gets his water uh, so anyway that was a lot of fun got to spend a lot of time off stage with Tony and Tony and David were really good friends so there was you know I said I had only had one threesome well I kind of lied but um, Tony's gone now and so is David so I will just respectfully say it wasn't like a big sexual thing it was watching movies together and just playfully goofing around and it was 
I was a little scared, and so was Tony, because he was like, is this going to go too far for me? Is this going to go too far for me? But it didn't. It was all just sweet and funny and fun. And um, after the tour, I continued a relationship with uh, Tony Thompson for a while. Um, he wanted to continue that, and I said, no, you're, you have uh, a little bit of a Coke problem. So it was one of the, just one of those fleeting things. I did get to see where he lived in New York City, uh, kept in touch, but um, we didn't date after very much after the tour, maybe a month and a half or two after the tour. San Francisco Oakland Coliseum was amazing. Again, David watched every show, from his, our, our show from the side of the stage. And it was Fee's birthday, September 17th. I remember that. And I think that's when he threw a party for us. And what, what a gentleman. Just That was such a memorable time. Biggest audiences I've ever played for. And uh, Peter Gabriel was extremely shy. But getting to know Rosanna Arquette for a week was fun. <laughs> Edmonton. Made me think of Edmonton. I got to tell a quick story about Edmonton. Now, Fee and Wayne Gretzky were friends. So every time we played Edmonton, or and a lot of other times, um, Wayne Gretzky would come to the show. Once when we played Edmonton, and I don't think it was the time we played with David Bowie. I think it was another time. But Wayne uh, wanted to take us out to dinner to this Greek restaurant. I hadn't been to a Greek restaurant before. It was very fancy. So I put on, I had some, you know, really great white dress. I can't remember what Cheryl was wearing. But the, he took, Wayne took the whole band out. So we had big, long tables. And they just kept bringing tons of booze and tons of food. And um, maybe you guys know this because we've all lived life. But at the time, I did not know that this was normal. When the waiter, we finished our first course. And he walked around, he grabbed everybody's dishes, and he's throwing on them on the ground, smashing them, and then telling us to as well. Like, what? No, what? What? And so every plate, every plate on the table for the appetizers was smashed. And then the entrees, smashed. And then they brought in other food and desserts and, and more booze, more booze. And when we're done with that, the, the, the table is still full of food, plates, glassware, um, bottles of wine, and two, one or two of, of the servers comes up on the opposite side of the table. You remember, it's a, about, I'd have to ask Fee, but I think probably 15 of us at the table. And they both grab the table and they lift it up, and all the food comes cr crashing down on Cheryl's and my side of the table. I don't remember who else was on the side of the table, but literally covered in glass and food. And a chair was thrown at a window, and, and I'm just shocked. They put the table back down, they start cleaning it all up, and Wayne just pulls out his American Express card, pays for the whole thing. And that was when I was like, oh, oh, this is what the rich and famous do. So that was my evening with Wayne Gretzky. And I'm not talking about any hockey pucks after that, or hockey sticks. <laughs> I think Sherilyn and I spent the night, but I can't remember if we uh, spent the night at his house or if we went back to her hotel. She could probably clear that up because she was, um, she drank champagne like I did too, but she didn't get as drunk as I did. All right. 
I think it's time to, um, I think it's time to like just talk about what, we, what we're going to do next. Of course, Father's Day is coming up. So I have some really beautiful stories and, uh, and a fun, funny story about Father's Day from you guys. So please uh, tell me your father, your dad stories. We told mom stories. And remember, you can either call 808-431-4884. Oh, that's right. Or email me at michellerungren at gmail. And Michelle has one L, E-L-E. Michelle Rundgren at Gmail. So, yeah, send me your stories. Um, I, I really like playing your voices, too. So if you don't mind either sending me a file of your voice or uh, just talking it on the phone. You've got three minutes if you call that number, 808-431-4884. And I would like to play your voice or I'll read your question. Um, and... S- I would love to always, always, always keep going with what is your favorite Todd song. And uh, Veronica, I promise, look at how long I've been talking. Oh, about an hour. Okay, next week I will read from Todd's book and tell Veronica and the rest of you about the controversial pages. I think it's page 187. Oh, page 185, 187, and maybe I'll read the very last page too. Um, there are stories before that that are as interesting or like weird, and I'll tell those too. But next week, Veronica, I will, I will read from Todd's book, and I'll answer that question. What the hell happened? <laughs> hey, thank you guys. Um... I hope you're hanging in there with all the the mess that's happening in the world. It's just good to know that we as the TR tribe, the tribe, tribe, um, we're holding on to the the love is the answer kind of thing. We're holding on to the goodness. So while people are in pain, we just have to keep holding that because I think, you know, it, 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 it emanates from us. Are the inspiration that we've gotten from his music and other people's music. So um, stay well. Aloha. Oh, I forgot. I want to thank my producer, Joey Ray. Uh, he, he lost his doggy Phoebe yesterday. So we know how we know how painful that is. So I'm thinking about him a lot. He's such a good guy. I can't wait for you guys to meet him. Maybe you'll all have to come to Kauai so you can meet him and hang out at Tiki and Iki when we open, which I think will be August. I hope, I hope, I hope. Anyway, uh, thanks to Joey Ray. Thanks to my family for letting me tell stories about them, and especially my boyfriend. I really like him. <laughs> and I take good care of him, I promise. Aloha nui loa. Aloha. Hey, this is Joey. Thank you for listening to the Michelle Runga Podcast. Everything you need is in the show notes on your favorite podcast catcher. Please make sure you subscribe and give us a rating. Uh, Instagram, Michelle Rungram Podcast. Facebook, same thing for the Facebook page. Please be sure you follow and support us. We still have t-shirts on sale uh, for Give Kauai Hope um, that is helping support small businesses here on Kauai. 
and all of us just trying to make it. So, thank you for your love. Aloha. Please send a message. Send a voicemail. Have a good weekend. Hug your friends. Hug your family. Hug your dogs. Hug your cats. Whatever you got. Give it a hug. It's better than a lot of stuff that's going on right now. And we appreciate the love from out here in the middle of the Pacific. Thank you, Michelle. And we will see you next time on the Michelle Ringer Podcast. Aloha. Aloha.